On a balmy afternoon last September, Peter Stewart found himself struggling against the cold currents of the English Channel. He'd been in the water for more than 13 hours. At 66, one of the oldest people to attempt the 20.5-mile swim from England to France. His muscles ached. The tides had pushed him off course as waves of doubt and delirium were rising. It was out there off the coast of northern France that he came upon an unexpected inspiration, a boat with colleagues from CBRE's office in Lille, people he'd never met, but who'd taken the day off and made an 80-mile trip of their own to offer spirit and support. On this episode, stories of personal determination and indeed teamwork. That is how sports can prepare you for business and for life and have an impact on a culture of camaraderie and healthy competition. After 50 uh, kilometers and God knows how many hours, I was like a little delirious. And I went, oh my God, these guys are actually there. That's English Channel swimmer, Peter Stewart, a senior commercial property valuer for CBRE in Melbourne, Australia. Peter joined the company last year then completed the daunting open water swim just six months later. Now he joins us along with one of those colleagues who came out to rally him ashore, logistics consultant Oog Levy, who usually focuses on industrial real estate from the CBRE office in Lille, France. It was important for him to see people from CBRE. And we also welcome another world-class athlete from CBRE's ranks, one who competes on land and sea. When I set a goal for a race and achieve it, it's really satisfying. In the same way, I'm motivated and driven that way, even in my job, I like to set goals and achieve them as well. That's Nicole Levinson, a senior marketing specialist in the San Francisco Bay Area and a former college runner who stretched herself to become a triathlete, competing at the grueling Ironman distance, one of the toughest races in the world. We'll learn more about these stories and also hear from other all-star athletes who've appeared on our air to gain wisdom and inspiration from their ambitious pursuits. Coming up, we're spanning the globe to paraphrase that old tagline from Wide World of Sports with the thrill of victory and some takeaway from their feats. The games they play in real estate and beyond. I'm Spencer Levy, and that's right now, on the weekly tape. Welcome to the weekly take, and this is going to be a fun episode today talking about athletics and how it can apply to real estate, starting with Nicole Levinson. Nicole, thanks for joining the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great to have you, Nicole. And then we have Peter Stewart from Down Under in Melbourne, Australia. Peter, thanks for joining the show. Hi there, Spencer, and uh, lovely to be joining you. Great to have you. And then uh, last but certainly not least, Oog Levy. Oog, thanks for joining the show. And thank you, Spencer, and uh, good morning, good evening, everybody from France. Well, we've got it all covered. Good evening, good morning, and good afternoon, because we've covered the globe on this show for sure. Let's stay with you first, Nicole. Tell us about your backstory, Nicole. It's, it's quite incredible. Okay, so I think the most notable 
thing to mention is what happened recently. I competed in the Ironman in Sacramento, California, and Ironman distance triathlon is a 140.6 mile race. You swim 2.4 miles, you cycle 112 miles, and then you run a marathon 26.2 miles. I trained for that for a couple years, finally got to race in October this year, and I placed high enough in not only my age group, but the entire race. I was second place in my age group, 35 to 39, and I was third overall female, which allowed me to secure a slot to the world championships in Kona, Hawaii. So I get to go do another one um, in debatably the most humid and hot areas and compete with all of the best athletes from all over the world. Well, that's quite a story, and we'll get more into the details in just a moment. But Peter, why don't you tell our team about your achievement? I had the pleasure. I'm not sure that it was a great, pleasurable experience right in the moment, but it was certainly a personal goal. On the 10th of September 2022, I was able to um, have the opportunity to swim the English Channel, which starts from Dover. That's the landmark, but you've got a motor on your boat out of Dover Harbour and it goes to a beach called Sapphire Ho. Um, So you kick off from there across the English Channel through the separation zone into French waters and find yourself to the French coast. Generally, the key landing point is Wassant in France. And for me, that was a 68-kilometre journey that you get carried with the tides, but certainly not a straight swim. It takes two years just to be able to get a boat, a captain, and find your spot with with the Channel Swimming Association. Um, So you've got a two-year preparation period, which you pretty much need. Um, So in September 10, um, I was in England and had the opportunity to swim across successfully and get up and uh, meet uh, Oog on the other side. Oog, you met Peter on the beach. Uh, of France. And tell us about that, because what this today's show is about is not just Nicole and Peter's experience, but bringing it home to business, to real estate, and how it not only makes you a better real estate professional, but how it brings real estate professionals together. So why don't you tell us about uh, how you greeted Peter in France? Yeah, so first of all, I want just to Congratulate uh, Nicole for for his sport achievement and uh, and Peter of course, and I am not here as an uh, athlete but as a CBRE uh, team worldwide. I read the news on the CBRE uh, intranet uh, page, so it was uh, important for me and for my colleague to to support Peter as I know that. It is not easy to cross this channel. There is not a lot of people on the side of the road to support you. So we went there with a boat and uh, and met Peter. And I can remember even today that he was quite really happy and was important for him to see people from CB. Peter, were you aware that Ugo was going to meet you? And it, it, whether you were or, not, or were not aware, tell us about your reaction when you saw your colleagues on the beach. We'd exchanged a couple of emails, and I've got to say that the emails seemed a little apologetic. The inquisitive, he said, you know, would you like someone to be on the beach? I know that probably you won't be in the greatest uh, state to be receiving people, but I could be there if you like. And I was like, man, I would love that. Please be there. You know, I could think of 
nothing better. So I was expecting if everything went well that I would see somebody on the beach standing there. Now, put that in context, I could be landing anywhere on the beach there within a 10-kilometre strip. And then so it was up to also to to find me and all of those things. So I'm like 50 kilometres into the swim. I've missed uh, Cape Grineau, which is the little headland that you aim for because that's the shortest distance that you could probably swim. I've missed that by two kilometres as the tide changes and I get swept up the coastline. But at that 50-kilometre mark, there's a boat pull up alongside me with a few guys in the boat holding CBRE and it was like a vision from heaven. I looked up and I thought, where where am I? Because after 50 uh, kilometres and God knows how many hours, I was like a little delirious and I went, oh, my God, these guys are actually there in the water and shouting out to me and holding up CBRE signs. So I stopped and... I tried to call out. I'm not sure how great my vocals were. I sort of gave a thumbs up and I said, God, guys, thanks so much uh, for being there. I think somebody asked if they could get in the water and swim with me, but the Channel Swimming Association monitor on board said, sorry, guys, you won't be able to do that. You may end up getting Peter disqualified if you happen to swim in front of him or touch him or something like that. So um, I said my goodbyes, swam on and a Cool 18 kilometres later, I landed on the beach just above Wasant and sure enough, there's Oog standing there with a CBRE board and uh, welcomed me into France, which was just heavenly. Well, that's quite a story. That's quite a story. So, Nicole, let's go way back. Not the beginning of when you were a kid running down the street, but when did you realise that you wanted to be more than just a casual athlete? Well, I ran collegiate track for UCSD division one for a couple of years. And then after that, I needed to figure out what I wanted to do. I started getting into half marathon running, did a lot of half marathons, pretty much just for fun. I never really placed or anything like that, but slowly got introduced to the world of triathlon through friends and got hooked on it. It's a lot of fun. It's always changing. There's always something, every race is different. And I worked my way up from the smaller sprint distance triathlons that are very short and worked my way up to an Olympic distance and eventually a half Ironman. And in the triathlon world, eventually you just do an Ironman. Not everybody does, but it just, it feels like once you get more serious, you should try one. So I had to wrap my head around that and decided, let's go for it. I originally wanted to uh, do one in 2020 before I signed up in 2019. And in 2020, obviously, you know, races happened. So I signed up for 2021 um, Ironman California. That year happened to be a historic rainstorm, like cyclobom and atmospheric river. And of course, they canceled the race in October 2021. So I deferred to 2022. So I kind of felt like I trained for this race for almost like four years. What event did you do in track at UCSD? I was what's called a mid-distance sprinter. I ran the 400 meter and the 800 meter. And how'd you do uh, in college? I feel like it was so long ago. I don't remember. (laughs) I wouldn't say I was anything special. Like I made the team. I don't feel like I was the most talented athlete, but I have the heart and the drive. Let's look at it this way. You were a college D1 athlete. That's a big deal. But you may not have been at the elite level then. But look at you now. You are at the elite level now. Uh, And it shows the power of perseverance, that you don't necessarily hit your peak when you're in college. You may hit it much later if you stay with it. 
Is that the message that you uh, tell yeah, all the Yeah, I actually did revisit. I revisited running track uh, meets again in my 30s just for fun. And I was totally scared. I was racing against collegiate athletes. And I actually beat all my college times in my 30s. I was 18, 19 running track. And I didn't really show much improvement. And then in my 30s, I crushed my 800 time by like eight seconds, which is big for that race. So you don't know if you don't try. <laughs> But it's like you just keep showing up, don't you, Nicole? Just keep showing up and it starts to happen. Definitely. Peter, let's talk about your backstory. Uh, obviously, swimming the English Channel is a lifetime achievement, but you started as an athlete much younger. Tell us about that backstory. Yeah, we've got a pretty sporting family and my dad was a top cyclist, Australian champion. So I figured I had some reasonable genes. My dad got me into swimming early on. And then uh, triathlon also came along when it was just starting. I'm a little bit older than Nicole. Um, so right in the early days when triathlon just kicked off, this was the next progression. I'd been a runner, I'd been a swimmer, and my dad was a cyclist. I went, wow, gee, I might be able to put um, all of these together. I might have something um, special or be able to do it. So, yeah, I got into it and progressed along the same lines as Nicole was describing Ended up in Ironman, went to um, Kona, Hawaii in 1989, a few years ago now. It was the race of a lifetime, totally. But then as you keep competing and getting older, your body parts start to fail. Injuries, which is one of the biggest things that hold you back. So hip replacement and different things. So I thought, uh, what can I do next? Had to give away the running, then I had to give away the cycling. So I thought, oh, well, I've still got my swimming. So it's still just a matter of immersing yourself in whatever you can do. I mean, when you've got that drive or attitude, your sport becomes a bit of a lifestyle. So I dipped my toe in the water and I did it as a four-person team event, crossing the channel, uh, and we set sixth fastest time on the records. Then I went, yeah, it's still not enough. I'll have to come back and do it as a solo. And so that was the goal that thankfully I was able to tick that box off. Great. Well, the episode today obviously has some unbelievable stories from Nicole and Peter and their backgrounds, but we really need to bring it back to how sport relates to your job and your career and work with your teammates. So, uh, Nicole, tell us about how you're able to, first of all, manage the time commitment of being a world-class athlete with the work that you do and how it influences the work that you do. A big part of it is time management. I have a workout in the morning before work and a workout after work. Sometimes if I can somehow squeeze both workouts in the morning, I'll try to do that if it's required, but that can be really hard. You're waking up, getting out there in the dark, getting your workouts in, and then instead of going home, I go back to the pool to swim or whatever. So time management is huge and I try not to skip a workout. I have a pretty good body awareness. So if I'm feeling highly fatigued, that would be the only time I would skip a workout. But in the same way, um, for my job, you know, marketing can be very uh, deadline driven. So there's time management and prioritization that um, definitely takes place in the type of work that I do. So I have to make sure that I'm really highly communicative with my team and make sure that priorities are set and decide how to prioritize different projects. And then, of course, meet the deadline. In that way, you can compare the two. I also, in every athletic achievement, I try to set certain goals and hopefully achieve them. And so far, I haven't had like any 
crazy, terrible race day yet. I'm sure that those days are going to come. I feel like the training's harder, like mentally, because you're just training for very long hours for months on end. But when I set a goal for a race and achieve it, it's really satisfying in the same way I'm motivated and driven that way. Even in my job, I like to set goals and achieve them as well. The goal setting and achieving is so vital to this, and that does overflow into my work life, whether it's getting evaluation in on time and trying to meet the pretty stiff targets at CBRE set, you want to still achieve those goals. So you're really a balancing act. You're on a scale, you've got your sport and that fatigue on one side of the scale and you've got the job that you've got to get done, your training, your work life, um, family, throw all those other things in the mix and you've got to be able to stand up and meet all of those. But definitely that level of motivation and meeting targets plays a major role. Peter, last year we had a guest on the show. Um, her name is Laura Clark. She's the CFO at Rexford Industrial, which is one of the largest industrial REITs in the U.S., certainly the largest in Southern California. She appeared on the show the day after she literally ran a marathon, and she used a term. She called it, quote, embracing ambition. Even throughout my career, people have asked, as a woman, how do you balance and how do you deal with obstacles? And I've always said, I actually don't think I've faced obstacles. And it's not that I haven't faced them. I think it's all about our mindset and how we perceive them. And having a growth mindset is so important. And I think that that served me well from a career perspective. And I think it served me well as a marathoner. And I think it serves me very well as a mom. What that means is that I'm constantly taking whatever those obstacles are, and I say, I'm going to take those obstacles and turn those into opportunities. And I've always looked and said, you know what? There is nothing that's unreachable for me. And that's always been my mindset. I embrace ambition and I seek challenge. And I think that I do that professionally and I do that personally. What do you think about that, Peter? Embracing ambition. Yeah, I think it's a mindset. I haven't heard that before. It's pretty interesting. People that are doing these things, and I mean, you get a very broad mix of people running marathons because there's all sorts of time frames, and there's people that will even walk in, but they've got the goal, they've achieved the goal, and a a great goal at that. So I think it's something that's in the DNA of those people, and it really doesn't matter what you're doing. Um, as soon as you talked about embrace, I thought, oh, embrace the pain because there's certainly something about embracing the the pain with a a lot of this and sometimes I wonder, am I just a pain junkie or something because some of those training sessions can certainly be painful. But um, you end up pretty sharp at the end of it and you look at life in a pretty sharp way and embrace a lot of life. I mean, with the training and that training regime, you feel pretty good once you've got through your recovery. That first swim in a pool, when you dive in those first couple of laps, you go, my God, this is just like sensational. But you would never get that feeling until you've done the training, those rewards. And sometimes I feel Not exactly sad, but you go, gee, what are other people missing out on by not doing this? Let's ask a few more just very nitty-gritty specific questions about how do you do it. Nicole, why don't you tell us first about nutrition? What do you do so that you have the uh, capacity to act at the highest levels? 
this year I might actually try to work with a nutritionist, but I haven't worked with one up until now. I feel like I know how to eat healthy and how to fuel right. I eat a lot of vegetables and protein, but because we're doing such high volume, I eat mac and cheese, I eat pizza, we eat the fun stuff too. Yeah, breakfast burritos, highly caloric and carbo and protein intake. I just make sure I have small snacks throughout the day. The main goal is just to be properly fueled for your next workout. And then depending how long the workout is, you actually might need to take in nutrition while you're working out too. So if I'm looking at my training schedule and plan, I'll know ahead of time whether or not I'm going to need like an extra bottle of electrolytes along with an extra packet of food for calories to make sure I get not only through the workout, but get through it feeling strong as well. Peter, one, what'd you eat prior to going into the channel? Second, what'd you eat while you were in the channel? Because you had to eat while swimming, which is, uh, I'd love to know the logistics of that. And the third uh, is technology. What'd you wear, uh, Fitbit or otherwise, that helped you get through the swim? Yeah, with um, on the food side, um, certainly two sides of the coin there. When you're out of the water, um, certainly following a lot of what Nicole was saying, you want to eat healthy, but my coach also wanted me to put on like four or five kilos in preparation for the channel swim because they just want you to build up the body fat to deal with the colder conditions of the channel. I wasn't able to meet that. In fact, I found myself losing weight every day as training intensity picked up. I was just burning off more and more body fat and reducing my weight. So it was a bit of a concern. So during the day, I was eating almost everything and anything, but keeping an eye on the value of what I was eating. Certainly a lot of different vitamins. I was working with a nutritionist that I was seeing about every month, blood tests and that, and doing all the readings which was great because he was able to pick up on small things. So all that was looking good. But the other side of it is in the water, you're basically limited to liquids. So I'm on electrolytes that have got a carb base to them. In the channel, the feeds were every 30 minutes. I've got special containers. They're on a string. They get thrown out to you. You pump that into yourself as quickly as you can and get on with a swim. I think I had, well, let me see, yeah, every 30 minutes in the water for 15 and a half hours. So there's 30 odd feeds and you want to get those done within 10 to 10 to 20 seconds and just keep moving. But seven and a half hours of the swim was in the night. It was absolutely pitch black, both in the water and out of the water. And I found myself fumbling around for my feeds because you actually couldn't see what they'd thrown into the water for you. You practice all these things in advance, even your night swims, um, because you don't know what the your time slot's going to be in the channel. So you've just got to be ready for everything. Um, technology, pretty important really for me, and I'm sure Nicole's going to have some good things to say on this. I wear a Garmin 924 model. That pumps out lots and lots of information, which you tend to only get once you're out of the water. But I'll get my number of strokes. I get, you know, my time per 100 metres, um, water temperature, all of your splits per 500 metres. There's a huge amount of information. Distance per stroke, heart rate, obviously your your speed and the distance that you've swum. Um, resting heart rate, it just goes on and on. You can extract a lot of information from the technology. And I do fall back on some of that stuff because technique in the water is vitally important. I also use the Garmin watch both for the swim and the run. Um, so yeah, it gives me all those same statistics data points as Peter mentioned. 
And then on the bike, I have a Garmin bike computer that just sits on my aero bar so I can see a lot of statistics from that. Um, And I have Garmin pedals, which have a power meter that can tell me how much power I'm putting into the pedals. That actually played a huge factor in my race at Ironman California because we had a really serious wind factor on race day. We had a constant 20 mile per hour winds with like 30 to 40 mile per hour gusts. So at that point, I didn't care about my speed. I cared about my power. If I was holding a specific number of power, I knew um, at least it was going to put me in a certain position and I didn't need to worry about my speed because everyone's going to be slowed down by that headwind, not just me. So um, that was really helpful in that race. And then on the, the run course, I used my Garmin again and that you know gives you your mile splits and everything like that. And I really just use it as I just peeked at it every mile just to see if I was still on pace and to see how I felt. But I don't feel like I relied heavily on the Garmin watch when I'm running because it's really hopefully body awareness. You should know if you're running out of your threshold or not. You can literally feel it all over your body. But um, back into nutrition, um, I've, you know, taken about three to 400 calories per hour on the bike while cycling. Um, Real food packets, about 180 calorie food packets, and then a really concentrated liquid form called Hammer Perpetuum that I was constantly hydrating with. And then on the run, um, you move over to like more liquid type fluid, goo rock tang gels. And I took one of those every four miles religiously. And then one that had a little punch of caffeine in it towards uh, the end of the marathon. But I love that coffee, hey, Nicole? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really yeah. works. Even I had a bit of some caffeine hits in my liquids uh, for the swim. There you go. Well, Oog, while Nicole and Peter have world-class athletic achievements, it takes a village, it's teamwork, and there's pe- ways that people that are not getting in the water, getting on the bike, running, can be inspired and become better professionally by being associated with them. And I think you've proven that by meeting Peter on the beach. But tell us how your team reacted to Peter and how there may have been some long-term positive impacts of that experience. Yeah, I think that everybody in our office was involved and, uh, and understand our position and our goal to meet Peter. So... I just think that it is important for us in France to, to be part of this. I just want to say that what Oogs did was a lifetime experience for me. Like, I'll remember that for the rest of my life and it'll be totally mixed with that experience. What, what he did is part of my swim and part of the success of the swim and that I will never forget. Trust me, Peter, that we are happy to be part of this success. You. Well, that's the very definition of camaraderie, the very definition of culture and teamwork. So that's a wonderful way to look at it. Uh, but let's look at something that I think all of us need to overcome in a variety of ways, which is fear. And I'll be very honest with you. A lot of our listeners say, there's no way I could get in the English Channel uh, and swim. There's no way I could do the first 2.4 miles of the Ironman because it would scare me to death. Not only with respect to the potential for wildlife, but also in the Ironman, you have hundreds of people kicking right around you, and that's dangerous. So, Nicole, tell us if there's any fear factor there and how you might overcome it and how it might apply to the workplace. I feel like there's always some level of fear when it comes to race week leading up to race day. You get race jitters. You feel like a nervousness. And then for some reason, when I line up, you self-seed yourself in the swim start to where you think your pace is going to be. 
and somehow it all goes calm. I think we spend so many weeks preparing for this one day that it's the day to have fun and put all of that training to work. And once I'm racing, I'm not scared anymore. I just go out there and see what I can do and all those nerves go away. I'm not sure if that's true for everyone, but that's how I feel once I'm out there. As far as relating it to work, if something doesn't go right on race day, as an athlete, you have to have the humility to pull back and look at what didn't work and how you can improve that. So I think the same thing in the workspace, we can find out where our weaknesses are and build and improve on those things. And I guess ultimately, everything we do positively or negatively in the workplace or otherwise, hopefully you learn from it. Yeah. And I mean, anything can go wrong. You have to be able to um, manage that stress. It's really testament to mental fortitude. Well, you did it once and you came in, what, second? So that's uh, that's uh, pretty third, good. Third overall, but second in my age group, yes. <laughs> let's go with second, but also third. How would you prefer? <laughs> so let's now talk about the uh, ability to use what you've done, Peter, not just in the workplace, but outside of it. One of the great things about some of the sports we play corporately, golf, skiing, or otherwise, it brings you out there and you meet clients, you meet colleagues. But how about outside of the office, meeting potential clients or otherwise, uh, either directly or potentially indirectly by just them learning about who you are and what you do? That's pretty interesting. I was relatively new to CBRE and part of the condition of joining the firm was I had to say up front, well, sort of joining, but within a short space of time, I'm going to be asking for a few weeks off. Um, and I may not even have the holidays built up by that time. They said, what do you want to do? And I said, oh, I'll be swimming the English Channel. And I said, oh, well, okay, yeah, well, yeah, we, I mean, we can accommodate that, no issue whatsoever. So we ticked that box and I was on board. Um, and it certainly wasn't by design, but there was a lot of media around the event and... It wasn't like I had to go out and meet people at CBRE because suddenly there was a bit of a label put on me and I was, I don't know, semi-celebrity. <laughs> a bit hesitant to use that word because I, I didn't feel like that. But it gave me a great opportunity for people to come up to me and talk to me rather than me having to go out and explore all the other personalities in and around the office. So it gave me a pretty quick profile. And I tend to find that once you're in a group of people, and this could be with um, work associates and clients, it's certainly nothing that I'm going to bring up and talk about, but invariably someone in the group says, oh, yeah, and by the way, you know, Peter's a swimmer and blah, 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 and then suddenly it opens up a new conversation, which is a, a, a great theme because, again, it gives more discussion points within the group, breaks the ice, and you've got a lot more to talk about with your clients and it builds another level of um, camaraderie and, and relationship. Just to kind of piggyback on what Peter said, it definitely gets people excited and breaks the ice. And I do find people, for the most part, like to talk about the type of things that we do. I don't know. I feel like that's a hard question to answer. And I guess, you know, I, I run with like um, a running group here in the Bay Area and I'm, I'm surrounded by really, really 
um, high level talented runners and other athletes. I train with other triathletes and my husband does the Ironmans with me too. So I get to train with him. I think I'm surrounded by so many talented athletes that I don't feel like I'm above average of the people who don't do what I do. I, you're kind of in a bubble in a way, because I do spend a lot of my time with friends who do the same activities that I do because it's convenient. So sometimes you get caught up and you're not aware that honestly, the average people think you're probably crazy. Well, crazy wasn't one of the words going through my mind. I'm in awe, frankly, because uh, there's an old expression, uh, the longest journey starts with a single step. And uh, you've both been on long, impressive journeys that have taken you to some pretty incredible places. Another guest we had on the show recently, her name was Maggie Rominci, the vice president of curriculum at an ed tech firm called DataCamp. That's her day job. But she was also, like you, Nicole, a college athlete. She was a tennis player. She picked up a new sport where she is clearly world-class, which is pickleball, where she's a top 20 ranked player. And she talked about what it took to go from tennis to pickleball to becoming world-class at her sport. I think for most athletes, your competitive edge never really goes away. It's a mindset that you come into it with of continuously improving. For me, if I feel like I've hit a ceiling somewhere, it's probably time for me to find something else for me to do as I want to feel like I'm constantly improving and I want to feel like I'm constantly bringing up the people around me because those are my teammates. I think a lot of athletes are going to come into corporate world with that same kind of mentality is that like they want to win and winning can mean a lot of things. It could mean working and getting the best salary. It could mean going as high as you possibly can within an organization on the hierarchy, but it could also mean winning deals. I know some killer sales folks because they just don't want to lose. Winning can be a lot of different things. And it's also just about finding what is that one intrinsic value that is the motivator for an athlete. But I definitely don't think I have to work for my competitive edge. What do you think about that experience, Nicole? Because it seems to have a lot of parallels to you in going from D1 to uh, doing uh, just casual athletics to becoming world-class again. It took time to wrap my head around it if I could actually qualify for Kona. Um, But a big part was getting on a structured training program and following that diligently and then building on that year after year. I think the lesson here is um, keeping at it, keep turning up, because if I had have chosen to stop training because of injuries or whatever, I wouldn't be where I am. I wouldn't have achieved a lot more in my life without having had that principle. So I think the keep going part of it, and I look at it personally that it's the side effects of better health, better attention, your cognitive abilities stay sharp, longevity of life and health. So I think uh, that sort of wraps it up for me as to what she was describing. Um, So let me start wrapping now. I'll start with you, Oob. Any final thoughts about how the... Uh, experience that you had with Peter not only made you and your team better, but actually made Peter better and any lessons you would give to others about your experience. It is not easy, but maybe it is, you, you can find unexpected support uh, anywhere you are, anytime, even if you are in the middle of the channel or anywhere. I think that you can find Support. Well, I think the lesson there, uh, putting it in my own words here, is 
you have your own individual pursuits, but there's more people here to support you than you think. Peter, any final thoughts from you? Lessons learned uh, that you'd like to impart on our listeners to uh, really uh, not only achieve what you did on the English Channel, but uh, balancing work and life. For our listeners, uh, it's certainly not to be overwhelmed by what I've done and Nicole has achieved because there was a starting point for me and also Nicole, and it could be a 25-metre swim or a 15-minute walk that develops into a run. We've all got the ability just to take small steps because I could never have thought of completing a 68-kilometre swim until I'd probably finished a one-kilometre swim and slowly built on that. Everyone has the ability to create that reality. And on what Oogs has achieved, I think even a great lesson for me was we've all got the ability to take that extra step. And Oogs went that extra step and rallied his colleagues to get together. That wasn't lost on me. What they demonstrated was that real display of teamwork and what people can do by just thinking a little bit differently. It's like the pebble in the pond and the ripples that go out. I mean, you never know where those ripples end up. It touched me and I think it probably has touched a lot of people within CBRE as well, learning about that. Thank you, Peter. And Nicole, what lessons would you like to impart on your colleagues, our broader listeners, about your experience, um, how they could do it, or if they can't do what you do, do something that gives them the same level of inspiration athletically or otherwise? Yeah, I would say just start small, take it one week at a time. You're not going to learn everything all at once. It did take me four years to get to this level. And you do have to start with manageable goals to begin with and realistic goals too, then build on that and keep moving forward and stay consistent. Um, If you really, really want something and you want it badly, you're going to keep at it until you hit that goal. And I think consistency, and at least in triathlon, is a huge part of it. If I had taken a year off in between those four years, I might not be as strong as I am right now. You really have to build upon it year after year. I think if someone wanted to to do an Ironman um, and they really wanted to do it, they can. But you got to be smart about it and strategic. Got it. And I know what's next for you is the world. When when are the worlds? That is October 14th. Good luck with that. And Peter, what's next for you? I've got a um, swim in Western Australia, which is called the Port to Pub 25K swim. And that'll be the second gem in my triple crown. So there's three swims um, in Australia to reach the triple crown. Only 18 people have achieved that. So that'll get me that second gem in the crown. And I hope with that, I'll also recall it, the oldest person to have completed that swim. And by the time I've got the triple crown, I'll hopefully be the oldest person that's completed the series as well. Oh, that's a wonderful achievement. So on behalf of The Weekly Take, what a great episode. Nicole Levinson, Senior Marketing Specialist, CBRE. Nicole, thank you for joining the show. Thank you. Peter Stewart, Senior Valuer at CBRE. Peter, thanks for joining the show. Thank you. And Nicole, I'll be watching out for your results on the 14th of October. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> and then Oog Levy, Real Estate Logistics Consultant at CBRE in France. Oog, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Peter and Nicola. For more, 
please visit our website at cbre.com slash the weekly take. And keep an eye or an ear open for updates on the sporting challenges of our guests. Nicole at the Ironman World Championships later this year and Peter's quest for that triple crown swim in Australia. We'll try to keep you posted on their races and results. And if you're a fan of what we do, please show your support by sharing this episode. You can also root for us if you subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you listen. Next week, we turn from sports highlights to a comeback story and an American icon. We head to Detroit, where leaders from the Ford Motor Company, along with the Michigan Central Innovation District, talk about ways their real estate strategy and redevelopment plans are helping drive the city's revival. For now, thanks for joining us. I'm Spencer Levy. Be smart, be safe, be well.